Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right. Hey, glad to see you guys. I want to welcome you to uh, week two of our Pop God series. We do like to have a little bit of fun in church, so we kind of put the fun and fundamentalist at, uh, at Liquid. We're glad that you uh, are here. And what we're doing is in our Pop God series is we are taking some of the most popular songs that you hear right now on the radio. And even if you're, you know, you're over 40, you've probably heard that song. It's called Wake Me Up. It's by a Swedish DJ, okay? That's actually kind of like house music. Uh, that, uh, his name is Avicii. Here he is. He's a young man in his 20s. He's at the forefront of EDM, which stands for Electronic Dance Music. And if you're over 40, you probably hated it. I get that. Uh, but it is growing in popularity. DJs like Avicii now are pushing electronic music to uh, the mainstream, so it's no longer just kind of raves and festivals. Here it is in church, but don't let that kind of, you know, energy kind of fool you because a lot of these younger DJs have profound questions that they're asking. His song, Wake Me Up, features these lyrics. He says this, Feeling my way through the darkness, guided by a beating heart, I can't tell where the journey will end, but I know where to start. They tell me I'm too young to understand. They say I'm caught up in a dream. Well, life will pass me by if I don't open up my eyes. Well, that's fine by me. And then he sings, so wake me up when it's all over. Which is just, that actually sounds very country, doesn't it? <laughs> now everyone under 40 hates it, okay? Um, when I'm wiser and I'm older, all this time I was fighting myself and I didn't know I was lost. It's really about a story about, it's kind of a song about a young man who's lost his way in life. He's kind of feeling his way through the darkness. He suffered some hurts, a, a lost dream, a shattered heart. And uh, he sings, wake me up when it's all over. When I'm wiser and I'm older. And wouldn't that be great if you go through a dark time? Like, just wake me up when it's over. I remember feeling that way when I was in my 20s. That was kind of a, a decade of angst for me. I know people are like, I wish I was in my 20s again. I'm like, never again. Uh, everything in my life seemed up in the air from relationships, you know, should I get married? Who should I marry? Uh, to, you know, just starting my career. But is this my calling? What is, what is my purpose in life? Where to live? Lots of, lots of questions, a lot of insecurity asking kind of where's God in all of this? And that's a question that we all wonder at some point when we go through challenging times. Like, what, what is God's purpose in, in, in this? What, what happens when bad things happen, when, when I pray and God doesn't seem to answer? And sometimes we think, you know what, just wake me up when it's all over, when I'm wiser and I'm older. Can I just kind of jump ahead to that moment when I can look back and say, okay, God, you answered all my questions. Now I understand the purpose. Wouldn't that be great? That's how the prophet Habakkuk felt when he looked at the world all around him, if, if you're just joining us, uh, last week we introduced Habakkuk. He's an Old Testament prophet, lived around 600 B.C., and he really struggled with his faith in God for, for a season. He looked at kind of the world around him, all this violence, all this corruption, all this injustice, and it really shook his faith. Uh, he's like, why, God, do you let bad things happen? You know, why do the wicked seem to win? Why, where or where better, where's God when life seems unfair? You know what? Wake me up when it's all over. <laughs> Let this kind of, life is going to pass me by if I don't open up my eyes, and that'd be fine by me. That's what Habakkuk must have been thinking when he wrote this short little book in the Old Testament. It's only three chapters long. Last week, we looked at chapter one, which is about wrestling with God. That's what Habakkuk's name means. It means to embrace or to wrestle. And he wrestled with God over the hard things that were happening in his life. He asked tough questions of God. Questions like this. He said, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not what? You don't 
listen. Have you ever felt like it's, you're praying to God, but your, your prayers bounce off the ceiling? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? And he gave this series of four or five questions aimed right at God. And Habakkuk teaches all of us who follow Christ something very liberating. It is possible for a committed Christian to have both questions and faith simultaneously. They're, they're not incompatible. Questions is not necessarily a sign of doubt or weakness in your faith, but it's actually a desire for deeper understanding of what God is doing, especially in a time of crisis. Last week, a lot of you had questions of your own. I asked uh, you this question. I said, hey, if you could ask one question of God, what would it be? And we got a mountain of responses. Let me tell you, hundreds and hundreds of response cards. All of them were anonymous, so people felt free to write what was genuinely going on in their life or what they're wrestling with. I want to give you a little sample of what people wrote. Uh, someone said, you know, God, why am I still single? I've been praying for 20 years, and I'm tired of being alone. God, when will I get married? A lot of relationship, you know, questions, finding a spouse or partner. God, why do you continue to make us wait for a child? This is, a, this is a couple who's trying to conceive, but they're, they're having difficulty doing that. God, why did my good, good friend die from cancer in only one year? She was 30 and newly married. Why? Why would you let that happen? God, why can't I get ahead financially? What, what, why am I drowning in debt? Why? Because you live in New Jersey. That I, I, you don't even have to ask God. I'll just tell you the answer. <laughs> uh, God, why, why do I have two special needs children? It's more than I can seem to handle at times. God, why are you letting ISIS rise up and kill Christians, right? Why, God, I scream out violence. Why don't you save them? God, why am I having so much trouble finding joy at my job that is ordained by you? In other words, if you pick me for this, why do I hate it? God, why is my family so, so bitter and separated from each other? Serious stuff. I really, I'm, 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 I was touched that you would pour out your heart this way. God, why did my husband of almost 30 years have an affair? for the last year and a half, and God, when will my heart begin to soften so that I can see past the incredible hurt and pain that I feel right now? This is a set of parents. God, why has my daughter rejected our faith? She was raised to love you, but she's now fallen away and it has shaken us to the core. And this person sums all of those up. God, why is it so difficult to trust in your will for my life? If these questions, these, this little sampling that I gave you in our spiritual care team, we read everyone, prayed for every single person. But this is a sampling of like what's happening in our church. One thing is for sure. The majority of people in our community are wrestling with some profound questions for God. And just so you don't, I know those were, you know, those are heavy things. And just so you don't feel bummed out, I'll just share this one with you. This was my favorite one. This, this, this guy's burning question for God. God, what are next week's lottery numbers? You know, thanks for that, you know? Gosh. Why, when, how long? These are the kinds of questions that Habakkuk brought before God as he watched the world gone bad around him. There was corruption all over Israel, very violent society. He's like, why are you letting all this bad stuff happen if we're servants of God? Why? Is this how you treat your servants? And if you recall, God's answer was disturbing. He said, things are going to get worse before they get better. God said this in verse 6 of chapter 1. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who, sur who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. In other words, I'm going to allow a people infinitely more wicked than you to invade Israel, rise to power, and just decimate the country. 
And that rocked Habakkuk's world. It shook his faith. It sent him into the dip. I printed this in your program notes. Some of you found this very helpful. I drew this little picture for you last week from a, a book called The Dip by Seth Godin. And he uses it for business, but I said, this is kind of how the Christian spiritual journey goes. It's kind of this, almost a little bit like a roller coaster, right? We said, if people start out here, they're not a believer, they don't know Jesus. But what happens is at work, you talk to somebody who actually says, I'm a Christian, and they're not weird. You can't believe it. You all thought that we were nuts. And they're not totally weird, and, and they pray for you, and that prayer gets answered. And you're like, maybe there's something to this. And you, and you come to church, and you're like, man, that made a lot of sense. I didn't know that was in the Bible this actually is fairly relevant, you know? And then, and then, and then you watch television, and you see that guy, Joel Osteen, and your faith goes down a little bit more. There, then, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just kidding you. I'm just kidding. Then you watch Joyce Myers. Now we're back up. Okay, now we're back up here, you know? And then at some point, at some point, you actually realize God wants a personal relationship with me. This is not religion. This is a relationship with God, and you invite Christ into your heart. You drink the Kool-Aid. Now you're on the, you know, on the Jesus juice is what we called it, and, and you've met people like that. And sometimes it's like a little bit crazy because you're like, man, I pray, and God answers it. It's like he doesn't even wait, and I open up the Bible. Anything I read applies directly to my life, and that sermon was just for me, and God's speaking to me, and isn't it amazing to be a follower of Christ? But then you come to the church one day, and you didn't like the music, right? And so it goes down, and you're like, oh, the sermon kind of was sucky too. Sorry, Tim. And, uh, or you pray. You're praying, right? Somebody in your life gets sick. You're like, that's okay. God's going to heal them. But instead of getting well, they get worse. And you have what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. What do you do in your life when what you see happening no longer corresponds to what you previously believed? Most believers, either they go back or they give up. They say, you know what? I want to go back, uh, you know, to my high point, back on my sippy cup. Let me drink the Jesus juice. None of this is really happening. They're, they live in denial, and you've met artificial people like that. Or they give up. They say, you know what? Maybe this wasn't true about, uh, about God after all. Maybe this is just religion, and it's just a crutch for weak people. Maybe this was just a series of coincidences, and, and you give up. That's where people go through. They go back or give up. But what we recognize is we said, you know what? This is called, this is essential. This part of your spiritual journey is essential because although you had a, a mountaintop experience, what you're entering is a critical period of, of spiritual formation called the what? Dip. The dip of doubt where you begin to have these deeper questions of God because he isn't just giving you exactly what you want. But you have to say, are you giving me what, my, what I actually need to have the character of Christ formed in me? But you know what? I don't really want to be in here very long. And the challenge here, what I'm challenging with, is to see this not as something to be avoided, but to say, oh, it's just like a roller coaster. If you will hold on to daddy's arms, I told you about the roller coaster with my kids. They hold on to daddy's arms, and I say, lean in. This will actually have a slingshot effect. It will actually give you the spiritual momentum to have a deeper, richer faith where you actually know God for who he is, not just what he does for you. You have a deeper faith, and this has spiritual momentum, and you actually end up on the other side weeks, maybe months, maybe years from now saying, I have this trust in my heavenly father that I could never have gotten there from here if things had just gone straight up and to the right. Instead, he had to take me through this dip and slingshot me to this new place of intimacy. This is Habakkuk. The story of Habakkuk is three parts. The first part we don't like because it's wrestling with God. Today, we're going to talk about what does it mean when you're in the dip and you have to wait on God. 
But then next week, we're going to see God makes a purpose here, and that is he's going to teach us to worship him in a brand new way. When what we see, our circumstances, don't correspond to what we believe, but we bless and trust him anyway. That's true worship. It's defiant worship. So today, we're going to look at chapter 2 and kind of exegete not just Habakkuk, but your life. And um, let's talk about what this means to wait on God. If you're in the dip today, what do you do as you wait for God to answer your question or, or change your situation? Habakkuk 2, we'll look at the first four verses if you want to turn your Bible, flip in your phone. I'll have some up on the screen as well. Let's look at what God says. Here's what Habakkuk opens up. He says, I'm going to take my stand at my watch post, and I'm going to station myself on the tower and look out to see what God will say to me and what I'll answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk says, I'm going to actually climb a tower of the city and stand at the watch post, okay? And this is where the sentry would stand, kind of looking out onto the fields for miles. It was the highest point in the city. And basically Habakkuk is saying, I want to, God, I'm in the dip, but I'm going to go up to the highest point so I can get your perspective on what's happening in my life, in my situation. And the Lord answered me. Here's what God said to Habakkuk. He said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. And, and, and he's basically saying, like, Habakkuk, I have a vision for you. A vision is just a revelation. I'm going to reveal something about your life, and I want you to write it down. That's what you're holding, the revelation of Habakkuk. I want you to write this down. He says, put it plain on tablets. In the ancient world, they would sometimes put the message of God on tablets in basically like a public forum. It'd be like saying, God saying, post this on Facebook. This is that important, okay? I don't want anyone to miss this. Now watch what he says. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, and it will not lie. This is true. If it seems slow, let's say these words together, ready? Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And then he says this about the Babylonians. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by, what? His faith. And we'll just stop there. Four verses in Habakkuk 2 that teach us what it means to wait on God. What do we do when we're in the dip? And God says, if it seems slow, wait for it. Now, let's be honest. We all hate to wait, yeah? We are microwave believers with a God who gives crockpot answers, <laughs> We want answers instantly. But God says, I actually take my time when I want to teach you something. God says, Habakkuk, I have a vision for your life, and I want you to, ready? Ready? Here it is. Wait for it. <laughs> that is a phrase nobody likes. Personally, I hate to wait, especially, uh, you know, in lines, whether it's at the toll booth on the parkway or in the the grocery store. Have you ever had this happen where you're in the grocery store and, you know, you get your, you know, you've got eight things. I'm like, oh, good. I'm getting the 10 items or less. And then you go to the line and there's a few different shoots that you could check out of. And you start comparing to see which of these do I think is the fastest, right? And you're like, okay, I'm going to go 10 items or less. But there's, there's three people in that one. Okay. Oh, but this line has four people. So I'll go this one. But then you look at what people have and you're like, they're sort of cheating. She has 15 items. This guy only has two things in a pack of gum, and that mom, oh no, she has coupons, oh no. And you start evaluating which line will be the fastest, right? And so what I do, it's craziness. You, I get in that shortest line that I think will be the fastest, and the whole time I'm standing there, I'm kind of looking out of the corner of my eye, silently comparing myself to like who I would have been in the other line, you know? And if they get through first, you're like, no! You know, you, you get so upset, it's craziness, right? 
Uh, nobody likes to wait. Most of your questions, most of these questions were about waiting. God, I'm waiting for a husband or a wife. When will they come along? And God says, ready? Wait for it. Yeah. Uh, God, why do you continue to make us wait for a child? Wait for it. Uh, God, when will you heal my loved ones? Someone wrote, when will my daddy walk again out of his wheelchair? Wait for it. And then there's no punchline. How long till I find a job? Wait for it. These are not emotionally satisfying answers. <laughs> See, when we're in the dip, most of our questions here begin with when and how long. And you know what? God said, I want you to wait here. And I want you, Habakkuk, to wait in the wilderness. That's what the dip is. This is kind of a desert season where God strips away our distractions so he can have our undivided attention and teach us something new. Notice actually something interesting. The dip here is kind of faced like a crucible. You know what a crucible is? It's like where you put the elements in the, you know, in, in science. You put the elements in here and you put a little flame underneath it, right? And it kind of heats it up and it boils it so it can be kind of molded down into its bare essence and then refined and molded into something. In this case, Christ's image. And the truth is this, guys, every follower of Jesus, you will come to a dip. You will come to a desert season in your life, and the natural man, your natural flesh, asks, how long do I have to be here? God, get me out of this dip. That's level one prayer. God, get me out. Fix it. <laughs> but God invites us to ask a better question. God, what do you want me to get out of this dip? What do you want to teach me while I'm here? What do you want to shape in me? What impurities do you want to draw out of me? How do you want to refine me while I'm waiting on you? And the reason most of us don't like to wait is that we all failed geology. Well, maybe you didn't. I almost did in college. You know geology, the study of rocks, okay? Uh, we had a geology 101 class at Wheaton. It was called Rocks for Jocks. <laughs> and it was all about how, you know, rocks are formed kind of in the desert uh, or the, the belly of the earth. And I remember Dr. Greenberg, he gave us a very simple definition on the first day of class. He goes, here's what you need to know about geology, okay? The rest of this is details. But the main thing, and I'll use blue, the main thing is that geology is the study of pressure, the pressure in the earth formed on the minerals of the earth, plus time, thousands of years. That's actually how you, for all the tectonic plates that are shifting underneath the surface, they cause friction, they heat up the elements, and over thousands of years, watch, it creates something like this. You guys know what this is? This is El Capitan, right? That majestic mountain in the Yosemite. Or this, right? The, the Grand Canyon, just breathtaking. That's the result of pressure applied over time. Thousands of years of sun and wind and water relentlessly carving, pounding, heating up elements into something solid. Something solid like, uh, like this lump of coal. That's what this is. This is coal. You guys know what coal is made out of? It's carbon, okay? It's not a trick question. I'm not like, all right? It's the remains of decaying plants, and they're kind of pressed together over time, and coal is messy. It burns very dirty. It's, burned, it's, it's full of impurities, so it burns black smoke. But if a lump of coal stays in the belly of the earth for enough time, deep down, the pressure and time turn it into something that looks like this, a diamond. Same thing. Did you know these are made of the same thing? Carbon, pure carbon. What's the difference between coal and a diamond? Pressure applied over time. A diamond is merely a lump of coal that did really well under pressure. <laughs> I remember in the movies when Superman wants to impress Lois Lane, he takes this like lump of coal and he like crushes it, and then this diamond, you know, appears in his fist, you know. 
in the movie, it does. It happens right in a moment. But in real life, diamonds take thousands of years to develop in the belly of the earth. That's the only way that something worthless becomes something priceless. Same with your soul in spiritual formation. Only in the dip, when we are on this deep, dark moment, our circumstances heat up and we're forced to wait, does God actually draw the impurities in our our character to the surface and then actually do his deepest work in our lives, which is forging the character of Christ in us? See, Habakkuk teaches us that time in the dip for every believer produces two things in your spiritual life that you could never produce on your own. The first is this if you're taking notes. Pressure plus time will create growth in patience, which is a supernatural fruit of the Spirit. Nobody is born patient. Nobody's like, oh, I just don't know. My personality is just very patient. I'm just a patient person. Not really. <laughs> that is the supernatural. It's a fruit of the Spirit in the Bible, patience. And the second is pressure plus time will create a change in your perspective. You will look back one day and actually have heaven's view on things and understand how this fit into the story of your life. Change in perspective, growth in patience. Let's look at patience first. If you look at verse 3, here's what uh, Habakkuk says. He says, the vision still awaits. It's appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. God says, if it seems slow, what? Wait for it. It will surely come. And it will not delay. A lot of us are facing delays. Many, many people wrote on their cards. They said, God, I'm in my 40s. I thought I would be married by now. Why are you, what's the delay? Why are you delaying this? God, my job search is going on 15 months. What is the delay? And yet God says, the, my vision for your life, it awaits its appointed time. Meaning it's in my appointment book. God's like, I actually know when it'll happen. But you don't. <laughs> and is that okay with you? Here's the hard part. If it seems slow, I want you to wait for it. It will come and it will not delay. Now, again, I don't want to minimize because such a, these, are, these are the cries of your heart. There's incredible pain and burdens here. I mean, it's one thing to wait on traffic, right? Oh, it's New Jersey. No big deal. It's another to wait on having children, right? You know, remember my cousin Vinny? My biological clock is ticking here, you know, kind of thing. In the dip, most of our beefs with God have to do with delays. If we're waiting on something, a move, a new job, a, a new relationship, we're pretty confident we know the appointed time should be. <laughs> and that's why we get upset. All these feelings of anger and despair and freaking out rise up because, God, you're not meeting my expectations. We all have a certain timetable for how our life should go. I'm 39. For heaven's sakes, I should be married by now. I have sent out 147 resumes. I should have a job by now. Delays kind of violate our sense of how life should progress according to our plans and our timetable. We make plans. We set goals. We pick dates. But you know what God's word says? Look what God says in James. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. So he's talking about a business plan. Those of you who have a business plan. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. (laughs) Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. There is a perspective shift. See, time plus pressure reveals who we actually believe is in control of our life. Jesus is my Savior, but is he my Lord? Do I actually believe that he's in control? Because the truth is, most of us believe I'm in control. And I know what timetable my life should follow. I know when things should happen. 
But the Bible says, no, you don't. The Bible says, if it is the what? Whose will? The Lord's will. If I'm alive tomorrow, let's have lunch, okay? That's the Bible's perspective. And that's why we hate the dip. Because it feels like a free fall. It feels like this lack of control. But this is how God develops the fruit of patience in us. It is very humbling to submit our will to God's will. But notice, verse 3 teaches us God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Look at the text. God says the vision has an appointed time. In other words, I see it, you don't, because you're in the dip. You're in the dip right now. But I have heaven's perspective. I have a long-term perspective on things. And some of you need to hear this because it's very easy for you to get depressed, for you to bottom out, for you to say, I'm not going to pray anymore. It doesn't work. I'm going to stop going to church anymore because all they think are happy thoughts. I'm going to stop worshiping. I don't really. The truth is God's delays are not always God's denials. When God makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. Last week after the service, I talked to a woman. She came up to me. She was wearing a, a, a handkerchief kind of on her head, but she had this like, kind of like glow on her face. And she said, she goes, Pastor Tim, I just have to come up and say hello again to you. And she said, I haven't been here since last summer, almost 10 months ago. I said, oh, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, actually, it was during the God Greater Than Cancer series that I was diagnosed with breast cancer. She goes, and I haven't been back since. I've been going through treatment and all of that. But today is my first day back in church. And she had this glow on her because she says, I can only see now. She's in remission. She, God's doing an incredible thing. She goes, I'm just starting to come out of the dip. And only now can I look back and say, oh, my gosh, God held me in a way that I had never experienced before. He was closer, even though I wasn't at church, he was closer than he has ever held me. And there was this kind of joy on her face. She experienced a different kind of trust, a deeper joy. And she says, I just love worshiping. Today's worship was so sweet. Why? Because God was forging something beautiful, something brilliant, something that you can't get any other way in her character through that trial. That's why James writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of what sort? Many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy. Yay, Jesus juice. Whenever you face many trials, what? <laughs> of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith, when you have a crisis of belief, when you're the dip of doubt, produces perseverance. Perseverance. If I can hold on to God through this, he'll hold on to me. And perseverance will, not, will, will continue its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything anything. That's God's goal, M and C, that you be mature and complete. If you ask what is God's will for you, is it to be single or to be married? Let me tell you, single folks, God's number one goal for you is not to be married. It's to be mature. That's God's goal, for your character to be just like Jesus. See, God will not let you stay a baby believer forever. You can't be a sippy cup Christian. I'm going to sip, sip out of the Jesus juice cup like num, 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 my whole life, you know, because God's going to give me what I want and every time, and that makes me feel close and everything. God is a good parent. He is a good father, and he will not let you stay there stuck or stalled out. But when you go down into the dip, guess what? You know what? God actually has a question for you. He says, when you're here, now we're going to find out why you got into this relationship with me. Is it to serve me or to get me to serve you? See, the dip reveals who we really think is Lord. Is it God or is it us? So understand, singles, 
God is forging in a patience right now in some of you. And you give up or you go back to your peril. Ladies, Christ has a way of completing you that no man ever will, okay? I say the same to you married couples. You may be at this point where you're like, I am ready to throw in the towel. I have had it, you know, 15 years. My husband's worse than ever. Uh, I see no hope. I've been praying for years. No changes. You're tired of fighting. Maybe we just get divorced. You're ready to go back. You're ready to give up, whatever it is. But you know what happens? Do you know what happens to a lump of coal if it's pulled out of the earth too early? It stays black and bitter. And this is a picture of where your heart can go. I have met plenty of believers who have let their heart go here. They have given up prematurely when they haven't gotten what they wanted. And you know what? It's made their heart bitter, bitter towards God, bitter towards the opposite sex, and that's tragic. Because God's like, if you look at it from heaven's perspective, I am up to something here very deep. And if you're willing to wait for it, if you have patience in the dip and trust, I am at work at a deep place in your soul out of sight to everybody else, maybe even you, I am doing some of my most important refining work, spiritual formation at the level of your heart. I am forming the heart of Jesus inside of you who suffered, who bled, who went through incredible agony we will never understand. And I'm gonna reproduce something in that, like like in, in you, just like that. So here's my question for you. Do you actually trust God enough to wait? Do you truly believe your Heavenly Father can be trusted to get you exactly where you're supposed to go, even if it takes longer than you planned? Do you know how long Habakkuk was in this dip? Scholars disagree, actually. So We read these verses in a matter of minutes, right? But some scholars say this back and forth questioning between him and God may have taken place over weeks, over months, some say even years. The problem is we want answers immediately. We're microwave believers with a God who gives crockpot answers. A crockpot takes time to simmer, to boil, to cook. And the point is this. God isn't in as much of a rush as you are. God isn't pulling out his hair in kind of a frenzy and saying, how am I going to get all this in next week? i got a crazy schedule. He's, he, that, it's just not how he thinks. He's interested in deeper work. He's interested in diamond work. He's interested in going in the belly of the earth, forming something in you, something brilliant, something that couldn't be formed any other way, and that's the character of his son. And the choice is yours in that diamond moment. Will you let your heart just grow black and bitter, or let him purify your character so that it shines and shimmers in the darkness? Remember, from God's perspective, where you're going isn't nearly as important as who you're becoming. Forging the character of Christ in our sin-darkened heart takes time. Pressure plus time equals a growth in your patience. Geological promise number one. So take heart. If you feel stuck or you feel stalled, if you're here, God's delays are not necessarily his denials. He may not be saying no forever. He may be saying no for now. And though it seems like it's going to be delayed, wait for it. He is refining your character during that process. The second thing is, he says, pressure plus time equals a change in your perspective. See, the problem with dips is, as you kind of know, when you go into a dip, like even just if you're hiking or you go in with your car into a, you know, kind of a, a gully here, it's difficult to see what's on the other side because we're down here. We're like, I can't see up over this mountain. I can't see up over this ridge. When we're at rock bottom, all we see are walls and obstacles. God's, why, God, why do, my, why do my kids struggle with addictions? Why are you letting ISIS terrorize and torture Christians? You can't let 
temporary circumstances define what's true about an eternal God. Rather, you have to take what you know is true about God and let that define your circumstances. See, we see all of our problems, all these problems we see from our perspective. And that's why Habakkuk says, I'm going to climb up on the watchtower. I'm going to, if you look at verse 1, I'm going to go to the highest place because I want God's perspective on my situation. I want heaven's point of view. And God says, I see a difference in you, Habakkuk, between you and the Babylonians. Even though the wicked seem to be winning, look what he says in verse 4. Behold, the Babylonian's soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. And sure enough, he judged the Babylonians decades later. But now watch this. Let's say these words in pink together. Ready? But the righteous shall live by his faith. If you want to underline a verse in the Bible, this is it. This is the most quoted verse in the book of Habakkuk. The righteous will live by faith. It is quoted throughout the New Testament three different times for emphasis. What is faith? Hebrews 11 defines faith like this. Now, faith is what? Confidence in what we hope for, and it is assurance about what we do not see. In other words, it's not just about, faith isn't just like, oh, I believe there's a God, you know, some sort of vague mental ascent. It's living as if something is true that we can't even see yet, that this is actually my deepest reality. It hasn't even happened, but I'm going to live out and I'm going to feel the way that actually that this is reality, not this. Faith means that you actually remember what God has done in the past. You don't discount this mountaintop moment. You say, oh my gosh, remember when God came through? Remember that miracle? Remember when he was speaking? I don't have to go on my feelings. I can go back and I can remember what he's done. And then I can trust him for the future, even though I can't see it. Even though there are walls all around me right now, I believe God is going to redeem this moment in his perfect timing. Faith is a childlike trust that daddy's in control, even when life feels out of control. Amidst the pain and the frustration, the questions and the doubts, we have faith. We have confidence that God has a higher purpose. See, this dip may have surprised you, but it didn't surprise God. <laughs> That's the thing about roller coasters. You never see it coming. Ah! But God says, I designed it. <laughs> I designed it, and I promise, I promise you, I will use it for my divine purpose in your life. As Romans 8.28 promises us, a very powerful verse, we know that what? All things work together for good to those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you know what that means? You know, understand what that means? This means that God is carrying out his purpose for your life right now, today, exactly as he meant it to be. Nothing is random in your life. Nothing's random. God is working all things together for good including this. Yes, even this. See, there will come a moment, God says, in your future journey when you will look back and you'll actually see how God provided whatever it is, how he provided a, you know, a spouse or a family or, or finances, or he finally brings the healing that you've been seeking or the breakthrough or a reconciliation in a relationship you've been praying for. And even though at the time it seemed like you was a delay, he made good on his promise. I want you to understand. Listen to this. Listen. You may not know at this moment, you don't know how long the dip will go on. You may not know how exactly God will eventually get you out. But you can have faith that your heavenly father is more loving than you and more sovereign. Sovereign just means completely in control. And he can be trusted to work all things, everything, even these things, to achieve his goal for your life, which is to be mature, incomplete like his son.
That's God's goal for your life, mature and complete like Jesus. That's how we know your heavenly father can be trusted. We look at the life of Jesus. We are followers of Christ. What does that mean? We follow in his footsteps. So let's just see how Christ walked. Notice that the journey of Jesus, something interesting about the journey of Jesus, right? It was for 33 years, his life was up and to the right. Healings, miracles, profound teaching. People are following him. The crowds are pressing in. Let's make him king. Woo, Jesus choose. <laughs> and then those same crowds, the fickle crowds, a week later are chanting, crucify him, crucify him. And the Pharisees want to kill him. And the Romans agree. And guess what? Jesus had a crisis of belief. In the garden, Jesus prayed, Father, take this cup from me. In other words, God, Father, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to drink the cup of wrath. I don't want to, I don't want to actually have to go through the suffering and the pain and the torment of crucifixion on a Roman cross. See, there's something about the journey of Jesus that says you have to carry a cross before you wear a crown. This is Jesus. This is us where we will rule and reign together forever in God's kingdom and the Father's kingdom and all things have been worked together and we have answers and everything. But before you get a crown, you actually have to carry a cross. See, the life of Jesus, when he was in the belly of the earth, how long was he here? How long, how long did his dip last? Three days. Three days he was in the belly of the earth. And the disciples, they said, let's go back or let's give up. They actually went back to fishing. <laughs> I love that. They went back to fishing. Like, well, that didn't work. Bad career choice. Three days later, they set the world on fire because God revealed a new level of trustworthiness that I can work the worst that the world can do, crucifying unjustly the most just and righteous man in the history of the world. And I can use even that to bring about the salvation and the healing of the nations. See, guys, your life is a little microcosm of the life of Christ. The life of Habakkuk is the same way. Chapter one, you wrestle with God. Chapter two, you wait. But on the other side, someday you will come out like that woman did with the kerchief on last week. And she says, I have learned to worship God in a whole new way. I would never choose getting sick. I would never choose to go through what I went through. But I understand my heavenly father. And that my, my life here is very, very short. And this is actually where I'm spending eternity. And she has a new perspective on this. All the disciples were asking a lot of the same questions you are right now when Jesus was here. They said, God, why would you let that happen? This isn't, the, what should, this isn't right. This is unfair. This is unjust. And you know what? They were right from earth's perspective. But from heaven's perspective, God had a much larger purpose, didn't he? Jesus was not just enduring death for no reason. He was conquering death entirely to bring you and me to eternal life. On the cross, he's actually paying for our sins. He's saying, I'm going to set humanity free, and they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And now they will have hope for all eternity. This is where things are headed. Your life together, whole and healed, mature and complete like Jesus. We have the hope of heaven. We have a much higher hope than the circumstances beyond our trials on earth. See, for every believer, listen to me. If you're here today, you're a follower of Jesus, listen. Your present condition is not your future destination. Amen? That perspective changes everything. You have to see your trials through the lens of the gospel. You may be like, you know what? You may be like, here we go. You may be like, you know what? I, I'm sick. I'm sick, and the healing hasn't come. 
But then you look at the journey of Jesus and say, I follow Jesus, and you know what? The only sickness that can really kill me is sin. And Jesus conquered that on, his, on the cross. And by his wounds, I'm healed. Amen? My present condition is not my future destination. I'm in chapter two right now. Chapter three is ahead. I can barely see it from here, but I'll wait because the righteous will live by his faith. Faith looks beyond your present condition to your future in Christ. Will I get married in this life? You want the answer? Maybe, maybe not. But mark this, you will have the wedding of all weddings one day. I guarantee this, and your wedding will be killer. It will be the wedding of the lamb described in Revelation where Jesus is the bridegroom and you walk down that aisle and all of the weight will have been worth it. And even if your marriage on earth isn't everything that you hoped, one day it will be, praise God. That's heaven's perspective. That's the gospel. If you are suffering, if you're suffering chronic pain and illness, will my loved one be healed in this life? You want the answer? Maybe, maybe not, but mark this. One day in the not-too-distant future, you will be healed. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more sickness. God says, behold, I'm making all things new. And if it seems slow, I want you to wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Amen? This is the final destination for every believer in Jesus Christ. Mature and complete, lacking nothing, free and forgiven, ruling and reigning with Christ from his throne. But to walk by faith, you have to follow in the footsteps of the one who's been there, your Savior and your Lord. As Hebrews says, look what Hebrews says, last verse. Let us fix our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Look at this. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the, the what? The cross, scorning its sin and its shame. Watch this. So that he may sit down aware at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The throne of God. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If this is what Jesus went through, he can be counted on to lead you through it. This is the journey of every follower of Jesus Christ. This is God's story. This is a backup story. This is Tim's story. And you don't have to grow weary. You don't have to lose heart. Take heart. Because today, even though you're here, guess what? Your daddy is on the throne. And in the meantime, your father is using pressure and time to produce the character of his son inside of you, deepening your patience, stretching your faith, and the choice is yours. The choice is yours when you're in the dip. While you wait, will you allow pressure and time to make you black and bitter or forge a faith that glows even more brilliantly like a diamond? Because a diamond is simply a lump of coal that did really well under pressure. God's delays are not God's denials. And your present condition is not your future destination. Behold, your Savior is making all things new, including you. Amen? Let's bow our heads right now, just all of our campuses, where you are. Bow your heads for prayer. I'm going to pray for you. In fact, I want to pray for those of you who are here and you're in a dip today. Just as all heads are bowed and we're praying, and I want you to raise your hand. How many of you would say, Tim, I'm in the dip today. I need help. I need to be prayed for. Lots of hands, tons of hands. You might say, I need God's patience or I need God's perspective. Just raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. All our campuses, raise those hands real quickly. I'm going to pray right now, and then our spiritual care teams, they're going to be available to pray for you at the end of the service. Father God, we're opening our hands, 
in worship, Father God, we're opening our hands to acknowledge that we're not in control, but you are. We thank you, Father, for being a good father, the perfect father. Every good and perfect gift comes from your hand down to your children. Father God, thank you for sending your son, your only child, Jesus, to show us the path, Father, to carve it, to be the pioneer, the author of our faith. You're writing our story. And God, today we open our hands and we say we trust you. Father God, I pray right now that through the Holy Spirit, you would pour and increase your children's capacity for patience. Supernaturally begin this good work in them, Father God. I pray that there be a change in perspective, that, Father God, there would be uh, things said that, that, Father, as you'd be speaking to them out of your word, and actually even through prayers and through dreams and conversations, Father God, that you would let them know that you have them in the palm of your hand. They are never safer than they are right now, and you're never closer, God. Father, I thank you and pray for all the people who are suffering, Father God. We don't take that or dismiss that. More than anything, Father God, I ask that you'd be with them. We have a great high priest who has experienced, he's been tempted in every way, he has suffered in every way beyond our imagining. Would you be close to them? Would you bring comfort to them as we pour out our heart to you? We ask that all the glory in our life, God, and the, the character that you're forging, all the glory of that would go to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Everyone said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you are inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.